welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello, welcome to Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today's show, I have Tracy Bissett, Chief Financial Fitness Trainer at Bissett Financial Fitness. Tracy is a cash flow and financial management coach who helps people better understand and analyze and manage their cash flows, and in particular, works with business owners. I brought her on the show today to talk about business owners' cash flow planning. With that, here's my interview with Tracy. Hello, Tracy. Hi, Jason. How are you? Good. Thanks for taking the time today. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. So Tracy, tell us about what it is you do. Absolutely. So uh, I used to be a banker for many years in commercial lending and risk management. So helping entrepreneurs get access to financing and making those lending decisions. And I, when I started my own business, I took all of the pieces that I like to do. And I love working directly with entrepreneurs to help make sense out of their financial situation predominantly to help them understand what the cash flow cycle is in their business and help them be able to use cash flow and money as a tool to grow their business and hit all the goals that they want to hit. Excellent. So as discussed, you know, you basically help people better manage their cash flow. So talk to me about what some of the more conventional challenges are for business owners starting out in terms of cash flow. I want to kind of look at this over different stages and phases. So starting out, I get involved. I mean, cash is the lifeblood of a business. And, you know, when I started mine, I watched every last penny down, you know, on a daily basis. Tell me about what you see happen out there. Uh, Absolutely. So the first thing I see is there's really a a big hesitancy to even look at the numbers. So not every business owner is doing what you just mentioned, watching every uh, dollar, every nickel and seeing where it's going. So first off, I'm seeing people kind of avoid it or, or not get their heads in or around the money piece. Then when they do, they're not necessarily thinking about there will be a natural rhythm and a cycle to how the cash flow comes in and out of your business. And the way I like to explain it the most simply is money comes in, money goes out, and the timing that it happens is that cash flow cycle. And uh, unfortunately, I saw it many times in my career, you can actually book a lot of sales, but if you only get paid after you make the sale, uh, you can go out of business in as quick as 90 days, just like you mentioned around cash flow being the lifeblood of any business. So First and foremost, people not aware of it. And then secondly, not really paying attention. If somebody is starting up, I highly recommend creating a business plan that number one, validates your idea in the market and you know how much somebody will pay for what you want to offer and that you actually do those financial projections. And I don't suggest people have to do it on their own. They can certainly work with an accountant, a financial coach, even a financial planner to help them figure that out so that they know going in what will be potentially the amount of time that I'm going to have to run this business before I'm actually getting money coming back in. And I can guarantee that it's going to take longer and cost way more than you ever think it will be when you start your business. So from a startup perspective, do that business plan and, and get somebody to help you if it's not your forte, which for most business owners, it's not. It's not. I mean, one of the cold first lessons you learn is about cash conversion cycles, right? It's uh, yeah, I got a sale, but you have expenses that basically may have to be taken on prior to the delivery of said product or service. You don't get paid until the end of said cycle. And then, of course, no one pays the second you send the invoice, right? They always, you know, take advantage of whatever payment terms they're given if they're smart, which is a trick that you then learn. So basically, when we have people who are starting out, I mean, you talked about doing the business plan. What other tools or, or useful kind of learning lessons can they do to educate themselves on how to better manage cash flow when they're starting out? 
I think talking to other business owners who've been around for a little bit of time in the same industry or doing the exact same thing, talk to them about their pain points. What are their biggest challenges? You don't need to make all the mistakes yourself and learn the hard way. So do that. As I said, if you do that financial forecast and just kind of thumbnail how much you're going to need, maybe double, triple that number. The other advice I often give is that you want to be very careful if you're borrowing money from friends and family because you are starting up a business from scratch and you may not be able to, number one, um, make it a success, which is a likelihood. And depending on your management skill and the due diligence you've done, um, what that probability is really depends. But you also may not be able to guarantee the timing because if your business takes off and you're going to keep reinvesting in the growth, you won't necessarily be able to pull that money out and, and give it back to friends and family. So important. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It, it does create an interesting different version of skin in the game when you have to answer it everybody in your in your life. And um, just an interesting point that reminded me of a story of someone who came to me early on when they wanted to start a business. And of course, everyone, when they want to start a business, it's only upside, right? And anyone listening to this podcast <laughs> is looking to start a business, they're going to start a business. All they see is all the money they're going to make. That's all they see, right? Anyone who has an existing business is basically saying, oh yeah, you want the cold, hard reality? It ain't like that, right? And <laughs> you know, the, the simple fact was I had this one individual who was sent to me, come to me and they were, I'm not gonna say what it was they were selling, but they were selling this artisanal thing. And then I said, I've learned, I've learned never to judge. I've seen the, the craziest things in this world make money. And I said, okay, great. So what does it cost you to manufacture that? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so, but you know what you can sell for it. But like, yeah, I did some tests and you know, they said I could probably sell for whatever. I'm like okay, so you don't know what you're going to sell for. Have you talked to people in the distribution chain of how you can get this, this stuff, like price, the price, how you can get the ingredients where at the wholesale prices? And they're like, who are these people? Like they done mm -hmm. no research. And it's like, okay, how many units would you have to sell to even break even and, and feed yourself? Because you're talking about quitting your job. I don't know. And they're like, well, I just came to you because I wanted to understand if I should use my own money or if I should borrow money to start this. And I said, you've jumped way to the last step. You don't even understand what this looks like right now. And I said, do yourself a favor. And I will say this more than one, one of the many people <laughs> watch every episode of Shark Tank and Dragon's Den you can, you can find because I like to refer to, to the, what do you, the, the offers most case, the, the, the test to see just how delusional these people can be. Everybody thinks that their baby's going to be beautiful and it's going to work out. But we know in reality, you know, the failure rate on business is quite high. So the cold, hard reality of business smacks you in the face and cash flow is kind of the thing that does that, right? Because it's the one that's the lifeblood you got to run out of sooner than later. So that's the start, starting out. So let's just say they get going uh, and they, they're running their business. And more often than not, when you're running your business early on, you're too busy doing this stuff to basically handle the money in the most efficient way possible. Because let's face it, if you get into any sort of field, you do it because you're good at that thing. You're not good because you're not doing because you're a good controller of money. Talk to me about the challenge that challenges that you see people encounter in those situations and then how you remedy that. Absolutely. And that's really my sweet spot. I work with majority entrepreneurs whose sales are in the six figure, low seven figure range. So they've been doing it a little bit and they're, they're hitting the sales, which is great. As you said, they're super passionate about what they do, but they probably haven't had any training around money couple things. I highly recommend that you bring in professionals to assist you on the bookkeeping side and that you work with an accountant. By no means do I think you should delegate all responsibility and authority for the financial piece to them, but you should get the support that you need. 
Secondly, I highly recommend that you have a regular time where you make monitoring the financial position and the money a weekly thing. Um, You may have meetings with yourself. Maybe the first one is just to check out what's going on in your bank accounts. Maybe the next meeting you're looking at your financial results, which brings me to the third part. You do need to have monthly financial statements so that you can monitor the progress. And as I said, you don't need to be the one doing the bookkeeping to create them, but you do absolutely need to know what's going on in the business so that you can see if you're going to be on track to hit your goal if you need to revise some plans. And certainly by doing a forecast on the cash flow side, you're able to know in advance if you're going to have any issues. And I don't think you need to do it in an overly fancy way. If you're more comfortable, do it on paper. If not, Excel works really easy. But even knowing one, two, three months ahead of time that you're going to have a cash flow crunch allows you to think of way more solutions to solve the problem and all kinds of ways that you can figure out how to plug that gap. Can you sell more? Can you collect faster? what can you do? Can you go and get a loan at a, at a bank or maybe from an investor? So it gives you lots of options. So being prepared and, and having a regular routine in the system is really key. Yeah, a number of big points there. And I'm just going to kind of dissect a bunch of them as I remember them. One is the, you know, the team of accounting and, and bookkeeper. And too often, a lot of times bookkeeping gets done before the taxes get done, which makes bookkeeping not strategic anymore. Right. Um, you know, our, our books are completed. I would say if you're not dealing with someone who's updating your books, at least on a monthly basis, you can't pulse check your business. Right. I mean, one of the first things that advisors who come to me saying, I want to professionalize my practice, uh, what should I do? My first question is, well, let's, let's just do a quick litmus test. How often do you look at your financials? And more often the answer is, well, when you have <laughs> hands them to me, I'm like, and they look at it, they look at themselves and they realize, oh boy, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, do you think Tim Cook looks at it once, once a year? No, right. Like you have to look at this as frequently as possible, at least monthly. So that's the first piece. The second piece is that the annual statements can really mask a lot of variability within the year, right? Like, oh, I made this much money, but then why was I broke at this point of time and like having to borrow money? It's because there's cyclicality and everything. There's different software licenses are, are renewed at certain points, right? So I think what you said there about being able to plan it out is incredibly valuable. And I you know the, the simple advice people come to me say like, what technology should I use for this? For the first time, don't worry about technology. Take your financial statement, look at every line item, mm-hmm. or take your books, look at every line item, take Excel, and where do they fit on a monthly basis, right? And if, it's kind of crazy to think that if you're not working with one of those, essentially, it's the old Yogi Berra saying, if, if you don't plan where you're going to go, you're going to end up somewhere else. Like, you're running your business and hoping for the best versus being able to make strategic decisions. Are there any kind of any kind of books or tools that you recommend for people who are looking to wrap their heads around this? I mean, there's your coaching, of course, for those of you who can't benefit, people who can't benefit from that or from uh, people who have like just the need for for some sort of firm structure, any kind of mental, mental accounting tricks or anything like that that you use with them? Well, this comes back actually to your mindset, uh, interestingly yeah. enough. So your views form when you're very young in age, five, six, seven years old. And so however you were raised and whatever was going on in your household, that's going to stick with you. So observe what's going on. Every time you get a bill, do you get a pit in your stomach? Do you start to feel ill or are you excited? Cause that means um, things are moving along in your business. So check your mindset. If you have feelings that there's not enough, I'm never going to be able to make enough money, scarcity feelings, you want to check that and then start thinking about what can you do to overcome that. If you are feeling that way, that's okay. Most of the population is, um, but you want to move to what can you concretely do? So I'm a financial coach who believes in, yes, we need to be positive and we need to take small imperfect actions, but we actually have to do something. We can't just do some mindset work and not do any of the practical realities. So just like you said with Excel, get into the numbers. 
I find that most of the anxiety and the stress comes when you don't actually know what the problem is or you can't quantify the problem. You just know you have a problem. I don't have any money. For a lot of business owners that I see, there's this constant transferring between personal and business accounts, which I'm sure you see too, Jason. And so now you don't know is the issue your lifestyle is too expensive or is the business not making money? And I can tell you from my experience, um, the clients that I, I start working with, 80 to 85% of them are not pricing appropriately, which ties back to the story you shared. So then they're not getting a consistent paycheck and it's not really fun and not really the reason they went into business. I mean, number of things to impact there again. So I, I always said, I always joke that going into business is the most bipolar thing you could ever opt to do to yourself because it's going to make you go through lots of highs and lows. There is uh, the pricing thing is uniquely interesting. It's, it's very profound in my industry when we deal with, with, with fee-only planners specifically. There's, uh, there's a well-known study out of uh, XY, uh, XY Planning Network in the States that basically said that 100% of all their members ended up increasing their price in the first year. And I get that. When you start off, you don't know. And maybe you're the new guy. You just need the sales and whatever it is. The other thing you mentioned about the moving back and forth between business and, and personal, I, I see this all the time where they're just like, they bury so many personal expenses in the business and they they basically use whatever credit card they basically pull out of the cart <laughs> like whatever it is and then and then it's, it becomes borderline impossible to get a true pulse check for the business and you know one of the best practices i always say is like look whether you're incorporated you're sole proprietorship separate account separate card end of story business only you're going to have you're going to pay for lunches or travel whatever fine right but you better be recording that in some way, shape or form, or at least mentally to, to know that, okay, yeah, the business made nothing, but okay, the business made nothing, but I also paid myself like a decent salary and, oh yeah, there was all this other stuff that I wrote off, right? And, and it ends up not being that bad. Question for you, have you ever come across the book Profit First? And if so, mm-hmm. what do you think of that model? Well, let's I, actually talk about that model. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I read the book. Uh, I think it's a great model. I think that you have to be profitable in the first place to be able to implement it though. Yeah. So a lot of people, when they come to talk to me about working together, they say, I want to implement this. And I say, okay, let's start with your financial statements. Let's see what's going on. Yeah. Okay, you're not making any money. And when cash flow is extremely tight, you can't start pulling it off your profit first because you actually can't pay anybody. You can't get anything yeah. done. So that would be my, my criticism of it because everybody thinks it's universal and everybody, it can work. Oh, it's not. You're absolutely right. You have to be able to. So for those of you who've never read the book, it's, it's a pretty decent book on, it's a mental accounting trick in terms of running your money. And we put all the money into one business account normally, but their argument is no, what you should do is you should take, have an account for what your target profit is, pull that out every month. You have an account for what your taxes owing are going to be pull that out every month and put into that account. You have an account for your payroll and put and make sure that that is always topped up. And then you have the operations account. And then what they're basically saying is that you then operate the business off of that operations account. Well, that that works fine for, for if you are actually making the kind of money you should be, but to simply say, oh yeah, I want to make this much profit and then try to reverse engineer that. It might, it might not work. Absolutely. Right? And uh I mean, just what you mentioned about the taxes alone, keeping those separate. A lot of business owners I see, they don't realize they're just holding those in trust for the government. (laughs) So it's not their money, but the majority of cash flow is tight, need to spend that money. And then they're scrambling at tax time to make those um, payroll remittances. HST in particular, right? Because they are are ruthless on collection of that. Like they they will seize your bank accounts. You are not getting away with holding onto that money for long. So one of the things you mentioned briefly that I want to do to hit, make sure we hit upon was basically payment cycles and collection cycles. This is something that can land people in hot water just from, or constrain their cash flow artificially, just from their own personal habits and maybe want to deal with everything right away. Can mm-hmm. you speak to what that means or what, what, what these cycles are and how you can make them work on your behalf to increase cash flow? 
Absolutely. So depending on what business you're in, you're going to get paid a certain way and the money is going to come in. So if we think about an event planner, they're getting a deposit up front. They get paid the day of the event. Pretty easy to manage cash flow. If you're in a business where you're manufacturing something and people pay you after the fact, you're putting in all of that money to get the product out there and then people are going to pay you later. So you're going to have those timing differences with those inflows. You're going to have those regular outflows. If you've got that manufacturing business, you're going to have to pay your employees. You're going to have to pay all your utilities, all of the inputs. So you're going to have that that difference there. When you put all the pieces together, you're going to see what is that shortfall. And depending on how tight your cash flow is, is how granular your actual forecast should be. So the norm is to do it on a monthly basis, but for some people that's not going to be sufficient. You might need to see it weekly or daily to be able to truly understand which day you've got money and which day bills are due. So understanding that cycle where the gaps are, then brainstorming ways to deal with it. If you've got a lot of slow payers, can you start making collection calls? And uh, a lot of times when people get into business and they, they are going to allow people to pay them later, they don't actually set up a collections process. So it's just, we send the invoice, we hope somebody's going to pay us. So for the record, there was a, uh, my other podcast, uh, FinTech Impact, there was a recent podcast that just aired on the 1st of September, which happens to be the day we're recording this on, actually, no, sorry, the day before for a company called Biller Genie, which is a tool for collections processes, in particular, even micropayment ones. So like they gave examples of like average invoices of like $20 and they have to do collections and manage all that. And it is the thing is that the smaller you're, the, if you're letting people pay later and the smaller your transaction amount, the more heavy lifting is going to involve. So yeah, it's it can be painful. The other thing and just one of the behaviors I see people get into that artificially constrains their capital is this, you know, there's lots of people with the mentality, if the bill comes in, I'm just going to pay it right away. Otherwise I'm going to forget. What does that do to them? <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> well, it constrains your cash flow. Um, you sh- if you're thinking about it purely logically, you should not pay people until you have to. So even if you're thinking personally, think about when you're paying your property taxes to the city. A lot of people go on those 12 month plans to help smooth out the cash flow burden, but really you could be doing that yourself, keeping all the cash and just making those six remittances that you need to. Same thing in your business. You want to hold on to your cash as long as you can and pay people when things are due. And sometimes you might be paying a little bit after when they're due if you're not in a position to manage that. So I have to say you're basically giving people an interest-free loan when you extend them credit and you're being given interest-free loans from your vendors. So, I mean, if you have an interest-free loan, why in God's name are you paying that in advance, right? <laughs> like it should literally be the day it's due, the money arrives, right? And this speaks to something that we often, it's interesting, it's, it's a concept called, well, it's an accounting concept called working capital. And um, it comes up quite interestingly enough when we sell businesses, because a lot of business owners will look at their business and be like, okay, yeah, well, I want to sell it for X million, but there's like $400,000 in cash sitting in there. That's mine also. And I'm just like, eh, wait a <laughs> second. No, it's not. No, it's not. And they're like, what do you mean it's not? It's like, I'm not going to leave them that cash. Well, okay. So if that account was zero tomorrow, would you have to put money in the business? Yes. Okay. So you're asking this person to buy the business and then put extra cash in. Oh yeah. And that's the thing is that working cap, people don't understand this, but, but working capital, the amount of money that you have to have in the business to keep it operating is an investment. The better you get at managing that, the less of an investment it takes and the more you can take out. So I've come across a couple of businesses that I think are just wonderful because they have what, what are known as negative cash collection cycles. They get, <laughs> they, get, they get paid in advance and then they don't have to pay for, for, for like 60 days for anything they buy. And it's like, oh man, that's a dream. Because like people are just giving you a loan. Like they're just, they're just lending you money really for nothing. Whereas most people are not that lucky. And if you don't understand the concept of working capital, you can either have too much in the business, too little in the business, and you're going to feel it one way or another. 
Absolutely. When I start working with clients, I do a financial assessment for them. Uh, traditional ratios and working capital and liquidity is certainly one of them. So I'm teaching them the theoretical part of it and the way we can understand it financially, but they know how it felt from a pain perspective. When I tell them the number is very low or negative, they're like, oh yeah, it felt like that. I was scrambling to get money to pay those bills and make my payroll or get my my um, HST in. They know how it feels. Uh, I'm showing them in the numbers how it actually materializes. So if you can track that regularly on a monthly basis, you're going to be able to see the themes. You probably will have some level of cyclicality in your business, and then you can plan accordingly for different times of the year, as well as if you want to grow the business because growth is hungry and it certainly eats a lot of cash to make those investments in receivables, inventory to keep your business going. Also, growth also requires some further expansion of working capital, right? So mm-hmm. it's not just the capital in, like, investment that you have to make on property, plant, equipment, people, whatever it is. It's the fact that now you have to carry the larger volumes of receivables and payables and everything else. And that number, you know, maybe it was 400,000 before, you know, maybe that number has got to be 600,000 if you continue to grow. It just gets bigger and bigger. So, you know, I often say to people who get this confused, just because you see cash in the corporate bank Mm -hmm. account, you have to understand something that isn't yours. That's the businesses. And yeah, it can be yours under certain circumstances. But the more you get that out of your head that this isn't your personal bank account, the better off you're going to be. For sure. And for those who are going to get financing. So I certainly encourage anybody, no matter how small their business is, to set up financing immediately when you start your business. Especially if you're incorporated, you want to start establishing a track record for the company and a credit repayment history so that at the beginning, it will absolutely be based on your personal credit score. But over time, you want to transition that. But lenders, when they're deciding how much line of credit they're going to give you to help you with those working capital needs, they're going to be looking for this cash flow forecast to prove what is your peak need? When are you going to see the line go down so that they can use that to support the recommendation when they're going to the, the risk management department in the bank? And over the years, I've ripped apart thousands of cash flow forecasts. We want to make sure they're built on reasonable, accurate assumptions. It's better off to show higher usage than, than show something that is kind of pie in the sky. You want, you want to establish your credibility with the bank. So you do need to be accurate in your forecast. Not that the numbers be 100%, but that the assumptions made hold true to your current business. Client sent over financial statement and they're like, whoops, that's the wrong one. I'm like, what do you mean it's the wrong one? Well, that's the thing. That's what I give the bank. I'm like, whoa, 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 yeah, whoa. Let's take a step back here. But I will say, let's just cover a couple of topics, a couple of subjects on my favorite topic ever, banking. Let's not forget, is one of the things that people have, uh, anyone who's new to this and starting looking to start a business, understand that lending from to a business is not like lending to buy a house. I once had a business owner friend call me up and say, hey, you know, I want to start another business. You know, if I put down 25000 how much is the bank going to give me? I'm like, well, they're going to take your 25000 put it in a GIC, and then they'll give you access to a line of credit for 25000 He's like, that's stupid. Why would I do that? I go, exactly. The reality is, is that People think they're in the business of risk. They are not in the business of risk whatsoever. In fact, a lot of the smaller, more risky businesses in this, businesses in this, in this country won't get funded by banks unless BDC backs the loan. But in, in actuality, what they're always looking for is absolute security of principle. So your personal guarantees are going to be required. Your personal assets are going to be up for, up for grabs. And the cash flow statement is, is valuable because that's how they look at what are the odds I'm going to get paid back on this thing, not I'm what are the odds I'm going to have to foreclose on this thing. And both are very, very important. But establishing, unfortunately, I hate this, establishing a long running relationship with a bank will help you long run because especially if you get, and I would say maybe even two simultaneously, because unfortunately, when you decide you're not happy with your current bank and you go to the other one and say, hey, I want to move everything to you, unless you're a very sizable business, the first response is going to be, well, we don't know you. 
And the response is, well, I'm trying to get, and I, you respond with, well, I'm trying to get to know you by giving you business. And like, well, no, no, we don't know you. Like they, they credit ratings are not really a thing to them until they're ready to underwrite the, the, the loans. Part of that, they, they're meaningless to people, to the banks. So yeah, so that's me beating up on them for a couple of minutes. Um, well, no, so- I mean, most um, Canadians forget that banks are in business to make profit for the shareholders. They're yeah, not sorry. charitable organizations. So yes. <laughs> and given given the fact that the Canadian taxpayer underwrites most of the risk, I would argue we need to nationalize them. That's a different story altogether. Um, <laughs> so talk to me. So you're clearly not the only professional they deal with in this case. So how do you how do you work in collaboration with financial advisors, accountants, everything else? Like where do you fit in this mosaic? Absolutely. So I am there. I view it as a coaching and education mandate. So work in partnership with accountants, bookkeepers, financial planners to help bring up the financial acumen of the business owner. So it's typically for a finite period of time, we're going to go through the basics. We're going to dig into the numbers. It's really a transfer of knowledge from me to the entrepreneur. I'm going to get them to create the cash flow forecast, them to create the dashboard uh, where they can monitor their financial results. And then we're going to dig into the pricing together. But I'm not going away like in a consulting engagement, doing all the work and presenting it to them. It's really talking through and making sure they're clear on what the numbers say, the things they want to monitor for. Also coaching around, how do I talk to my banker? How do I have a good conversation with my accountant, with my bookkeeper, so that you can communicate properly? Because these people do work for you. And unless you tell them how your business actually runs, they can't necessarily set up the chart of accounts, which is really the technical term for your what underlies your financial statements, but they can't set it up properly unless you share that information about your business. It's interesting. The way some business owners tend to look at accountancy and bookkeeping is a bizarre thing to me. Like I feel like a lot of them expect their account to do everything you're talking about, but they're mm-hmm. not. They're there to file taxes. Like that is their core job. Like sometimes they they're like, well, what do I need you for as a financial advisor? I've got an account. It's like, okay, when does your accountant talk to you about this laundry list of things that, like, for example, we discuss on this podcast? And the answer is almost never. never. Right. Like the, and people, there's a real misnomer for what their job is. They're absolutely important and vital within the ecosystem. But there's this belief that they're everything. And it's just that's not the truth. And then the other thing is, is that they honestly, a lot of people treat it like it is a kind of necessary evil. It's like, here's the stuff I don't want to deal with that you deal with it, make magic happen, make my tax bill disappear. And that, that's not, first of all, you can't make tax bills disappear after the fact. You can plan in advance to reduce them, but you can't make them disappear. But overall, it's like the type of, I feel like what you do is more often not missing from the entire mosaic of professionals, right? And it's expected from different parties, but those parties are basically like, look, that's not my job. Like, and it's not what we ever promised. That's not what we delivered. So, I mean, I'm glad that people like you exist to help people through this. Absolutely. And then uh, what I would do if somebody wants to create a more detailed financial plan, especially bring in all their personal stuff, I'm going to refer them to a planner or an advisor, someone who can help them set up that plan and then execute on the plan. I'm going to be in for a couple months period, work with them one-on-one, build up confidence, build on the things they're doing well, teach them some new stuff, and then they can carry on in their journey with all these other professionals that are in their ecosystem. So before we wrap it up, let me still have some time here. What are the biggest like kind of pieces of advice and takeaways? Let's just give me kind of like your top five. Like what are the things you absolutely should be doing when you want to get your hands around the cash flow of your business? Number one, you have to take accountability for it. You are responsible for everything in your business, including the financial results and hitting your goals. So you can get support to help you do it, monitor the numbers, all of that, but you have to be the one who's accountable for it. 
Number two, as we talked about, keep your personal and your business stuff separate. Um, don't make it a nightmare. Um, validate your idea. I've seen so many great examples throughout the pandemic of people repositioning their businesses, reevaluating products, services, pricing. So make sure you're in tune with your customers and you're watching where the market's going and that you're you're moving as well. Diversity is focus, and that's the one thing when you're hungry, you can't let things go to waste. And then I would say, um, have patience with yourself, but don't be shy to ask questions. The only way you're going to br- uh, improve your financial acumen is by asking. The more questions you ask, the more you're going to have, and that's okay. So start with wherever you are. I like to talk about the financial fitness journey. We are wherever we are today and we can only improve. It doesn't mean we're perfect. So we've got to be kind to ourselves, but we have to keep asking questions and moving along that journey. Excellent. So Tracy, before we sign off, I want to thank you for taking the time. Where can people find you and and secure your services? for? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I do have a special gift to share with your audience because we talked so much about the importance of having a regular time to review your money, having a way to sit down and do that, make it a routine. So you can download a money meeting agenda at bizmoneycoach.ca. So a money meeting agenda at bizmoneycoach.ca. And that will help you get started. If you're listening today, you know what you're doing. And maybe the first meeting you have with yourself is just looking at the agenda so that you can get started. Other than that, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, It's Tracy with an E and Bissett with two S's, two T's. I'd love to hear any comments or questions and um, love to connect with everybody. Tracy, well, thank you very much for taking the time to talk about, again, the lifeblood of a business that is cash flow. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. So that was my interview with Tracy Bissett of Bissett Financial Fitness. I hope you found that informative and I keep on saying it, but cash flow is the lifeblood of a business. And if you are starting out and you are not feeling that good, but if you ever start to feel it, you will realize very quickly what I'm talking about. For mature business owners, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So the better you can handle that, the better you're going to be. So until next time, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever is your podcast. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.